Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Laura Gastner Audink, thank you so much for being a guest on the One Degree Shift podcast. As I mentioned in our little sort of pre-ramble before the episode, I'm a huge fan of yours. Absolutely respect and appreciate the work that you've done and really just want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. So tell me, why are we here today? Why are we having this conversation? What's most important to you in the past year, 5, 10, 15, that ultimately led to where you are today in Boston? Well, when people ask me what I do for a living, I like to tell them that I get people unstuck. I reach into someone's inner core and within seconds find the thing that has been holding them back and I just ask them why it's still there. And usually that has found its way back to them having some definition of success that was handed to them by somebody at some point, and they've twisted themselves into a pretzel to try to meet that for their entire life. And out of that 20 years of doing uh, work in executive search and really learning people's stories, I wrote a book called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And I'm now on the speaking circuit, and through that, you and I got to know each other, and here we are today to help your listeners figure out how to get themselves unstuck. And I love it. The listeners already know why I'm such a huge fan and just the alignment in, in, in what we talk about too. I would say not to overlap, but more to complement uh, what we talk about. I, I look at on an organizational level, how to build thriving teams, how to progress forward and ultimately have our best days be yet to come on an organizational level. I, I'm curious to understand what it means to be stuck. Yeah. So, you know, when you feel like you are just working so hard and you're hustling and you're, you're grinding and you're getting up every day and you're like, oh, I got to do all these 17 different things and your inbox is overflowing. And every time you sit, it's like a hydrant. Every time you send one email out, seven more turn up in this place. And you just feel like you're not making any progress. You're not getting anywhere. You know, you've got this thing that you want to do, this calling, this, this idea that's bigger than you. And you look at your email box and you look at your to-do list and you look at your calendar and none of those things, if you just process them and knock them out, are going to get you any closer to that calling. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like to be stuck, right? When the very best of you is not being called upon to solve a problem you actually care about and you're not being rewarded for it in a way that's psychically or financially rewarded rewarding in a way that you define it as rewarding, you're stuck. You know what question is coming next. How, how, do, how does one get unstuck? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to figure out, is that definition of success that I've been carrying around in my back pocket, that thing that was handed to me at some point by a teacher, by a parent, by a friend, by a spouse, by a boss, is that actually my definition of success? Is that something I really care about? Because if we're not, you know, we hear all this, all this, you know, BS about you should follow your passion. And I personally think follow your passion is the world's worst advice. I think it's like the spoken word career advice, illegitimate sister of the live, love, laugh tattoo. I mean, and apologies to any of your listeners who, who have that tattoo. But I think if you, we all want to work on our passion and that is the goal, but follow your passion is useless, right? It's, it's, it's not a roadmap. It's certainly not a destination. It's an Instagram meme. We have to know that we're going to get beaten up by our passion. We're going to get kicked in the head by our passion. We're going to fall down and get up and fall down and get up. And that's why it's your passion because it's worth it. People say, you know, what would you do if you knew you would succeed? That's your passion. And I'm like, no, what would you do if you knew you would fail? And yet you right. would still do it over and over and over again because doesn't your passion deserve that? That's how we get unstuck is we say, forget that definition 
definition of success, that fastest and most expedient path to the corner office that was handed to me by Sheryl Sandberg, who told me just to lean in. What do mm-hmm. you actually care about and who do you actually want to be? And where are you when you are at your very best solving that problem you care about and being rewarded in a way that's you know, interesting to you? That's when you're limitless. And if we can figure out that route, we can figure out what that space is and we lean into that instead, that's when we're not stuck anymore. And we are, in fact, limitless. First of all, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I, I think the blessing and the curse of these statements, live, laugh, love, follow your passion, is they're rooted in really good intention. Of course, we want to feel this path of least resistance. We want to be happy. We want to have success as we define it. But I think what we're forgetting to realize is that passion can come from more than one source. It can come from hundreds or thousands of sources. So instead of trying to follow your passion, find the things that make you feel passionate, I would say. And know too, like you said, you're going to get beat up by them. But that's got to be the blessing or the silver lining within what it means to follow your passion. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think, you know, all of these things, they're beautiful, pretty Instagram memes with, you know, Mm. girls in flower crowns looking out over Coachella. And that's Mm. great, right? That is the goal. We want to get to a place where we feel like we're following our passion. We just have to not think that that's 100% the user's manual to our life, right? Like that is, it's only chapter one. (laughs) And what happens is we look at that and we go, okay, I'm going to follow my passion. And then as soon as our passion starts to give us a little, you know, a little indigestion because it's not quite going as smoothly as the girl in the flower crown has promised, then we give up and we go, oh, I must not be good enough. I must, it must not be for me. Maybe it's for someone else. And we give up on it. And, you know, that's when we look back years from now, we have the what if problem. Like, what if I just tried a little right. harder? What if I would have just gone back to the second course? What if I just accepted failure for a little while? You know, we have this feeling that failure is finale. As soon as we fail, it's done. We're finished. There's no more. And really, failure's fulcrum. Failure is the place from which we learn and we grow and we get better. And so I say absolutely follow your passion, but expect that there will be failure and growth and fulcrum along the way because that will make you even better at your passion. So of course it comes from a great place. It's just incomplete. Well, I've got a funny relationship with the word failure too, because in my view, failure only really occurs when you stop moving forward. The rest is, it's just got to be called learning and you can't learn without failure. Otherwise you just succeed and cruise through life. So I guess my, my question to you then is what questions do we need to be asking ourselves to identify the root of what comes next or, you know, that pretzel, that knot that's tied deep within us, perhaps on what we thought or we perceived to be successful, what others told us it meant to be successful. What are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves first if we want to take that first step in a new direction or I guess with respect to the podcast to make that one degree shift to start moving again and getting unstuck? Well, I think the first thing we have to ask ourselves is why we're doing the thing we're doing right now. So yeah. it could be we're doing the thing we're doing right now because our parent told us that we have to to have a certain kind of career or get a certain kind of education or work in a certain kind of industry or you know, be married to a certain kind of person or wear a certain clothes in a certain size, right? Whatever the thing is we were told early on, it's examining that and saying, well, is that really what I want, right? Who am I doing this for? Am I doing it for me? Am I doing it for somebody else? Why am I doing this thing that I'm doing? Number one. Number two is to take an inventory of where we spend our time and our attention, right? And when are we actually happy? So do we find joy in the work that we do Maybe. Do we find joy in what the work allows us to do 
maybe, right? Like it's like somebody might say, well, you know, what I'd really like to do is, is I'd like to give back in some way to help, you know, cure cancer, for example. And it may be that you want to change your entire career and go work for a nonprofit that works on behalf of cancer research. Or you may say, well, you know, my highest and best use is actually working on Wall Street and making tons and tons of money because I can, and then I can give away a significant portion of that money to a nonprofit that works on behalf of cancer research. And I would say that, you know, we have this problem where we sort of purpose shame people. And we think that the person who's working in the nonprofit, it has more purpose than the person who's actually contributing the money for four salaries to that nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I would argue that not one of them is more noble than the other, but it's going back to saying, well, why am I doing this work in the first place? And does it cause me joy to be able to either do the work I'm doing or have the benefits of what the work can give to me? I love that. And there was a post, and I'm hoping you can read my mind and, and, and recall which one I'm, I'm referring to, on when you were writing Limitless and how it changed directions based on a conversation that you had with someone really important to you where it became the book that it is now. Do you know which, which post I'm referring to? I do, to? yeah. I just wrote that a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was out in Denver. Yeah, that hit, that hit me really hard because, okay, where I'm, where I'm going with this is that what, what I see you doing from 3,000 miles away and from the odd sporadic social media posts is that, is that you're creating time and space to make intentional decisions. And I think that's what the one degree shift is all about. Is, is It's about creating time and space so you can identify what makes you happy. You can be conscious and present about what's happening around you and that you have the courage and the bravery to make these shifts. And I saw that perfectly exemplified in the genesis of what is now Limitless. And so I'm curious to understand a little bit more about that pivot that the book took and how you gave yourself time, space, and permission to make that pivot to ultimately create something as incredible as, as what you've done. Well, it was sort of this meta moment, right? Because I had sold my firm to the team that helped me build it and got asked to do a TEDx talk. Did that TEDx talk, got some attention from that, that got me offers to speak on stages for money. And I had that moment where I was like, wait, this is a job? (laughs) I can do this for a living? Wait, tell me more about this way where I get on stage and people pay me money. I like this. And what I was noticing was that when I was on stage, the other speakers that were sharing the bill with me all had books. And I thought, well, they seem pretty credible. I should get me one of them books. (laughs) So I called up a publisher and I said, well, I'd love to write a book about confidence and how do we find our voice of leadership and, you know, the stuff that I've been writing about. And he said, yeah, that would be great. We'd love for you to do that under our imprint. But first we'd like, you know, we're doing this, this guidebook series and we'd love for you to do one about doing work with purpose. And I said, you know, I don't really want to do that. I've already written a book about going from corporate to nonprofit work. I'm not, you know, that's my old life. I don't want to do that anymore. And he kind of convinced me to do it because he said, you know, you could take your old book, make it shorter, 20,000 words, sort of coffee with an expert feel. It'll take you a few weeks. Great. Okay. So I start doing it. And as I'm writing it, I'm like fighting with the editor at every turn because the guidebook series is like chapter one, problem solution, chapter two, problem solution, chapter three, problem solution, chapter four, slit your throat, right? You're like bored out of your mind. And so I I called him up and I said, listen, you know, I don't think I'm the person for you. This is not the book. It's not coming out of me. I'm failing at this. It doesn't work. You should fire me. And he said, said, actually, you're right. I agree. 
And I said, wait, what? <laughs> you were supposed to agree. Yeah. <laughs> you were supposed to agree. And no. he said, but actually there is, you've hit upon a bigger idea. It's not just purpose doing work that matters. You're actually talking about a bigger idea here. And I think we should put that book out as a bigger idea in the spring and hardback when big idea books come out. And I said, wait, what? <laughs> Again. Mm-hmm. And so thank God for this editor that I fought with for you know two months because going back and forth with her really beat my idea up into me wanting to defend it such that it became what it really could be. So she, I mean, I put her in the acknowledgement. She's, she's incredible. But as soon as I got that call, I hung up and I called a good friend, Clay A. Bear. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And he said, well, what do you want people to feel like when they've read this book? And I said, well, I just, I'm just so sick of people being limited by everybody else's definitions of who they should be and what they should be and how they should be and, oh my God, what they can't be. And I just want them to stop being so limited by everybody else. I want them to just ignore them and just do their own thing so they can just be happy for God's sakes. And he mm-hmm. said, so you want them to be limitless, ignore everybody, carve their own path and live their best life? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, uh-huh. that's my book, right? I love you. I don't talk to you nearly enough. I need to hang up the phone right now and go write that book. And literally that book poured out of me in about three weeks. So there's the meta moment, right? I was so busy being limited by, and constrained by this idea of what the guidebook should be that it didn't allow me to thrive and have what the idea actually could be in limitless, what it could grow into. And so the big lesson for me from this sort of small shift was you have to write your plans in pencil, right? Like when we're sitting at the bottom of the mountain range, we look at the top and we go, I want to climb to the top of the mountain because that's the top that we can see. And then when we get to the top, what do we see? We see 12 other mountaintops that are even taller that we couldn't see from below. And what was happening is when I started to write the guidebook for purpose, doing work that matters, I saw the top of a mountain. And as soon as I got to the top of the mountain, I realized limitless was six more mountains beyond. But if I had written my plans in pen and said, I'm only going to go to the top of that mountain, period and been dogmatic about that was the end of my road, then I would have gone and I would have forced myself to do that thing that really would have been me shoehorning myself and 25 years of expertise into something that wasn't worthy of everything I could bring to it. And so by allowing myself that small shift to just being open to allowing success to be defined and evolve as I grew and learned and put more errors in my backpack and failed and grew and fulcrumed and all the rest, I was actually able to find a much bigger success because I was able to do something that was consonant with who I am and what the idea was really worth. Whoa. <laughs> that, and, and, and so this is why I appreciated that post so much is because it was so much bigger then, well, it was a one degree shift or it was slightly, slightly bigger that enabled you to be where you're at now, but required so much space and intention to, and permission to be able to make it, which is incredible. And so the last question, the last bigger question I've got for you before we sign off is that I can see listeners or hear or feel listeners on the other end of the podcast today feeling like, you know what, I'm not stuck, but I'm really close. I've got six emails that I have to address, not seven. I've got 20 minutes after work and not 40 to have a little bit of time to myself. How can we start creating more time and space? How can we prevent getting stuck? Or how can we preemptively make these one degree shifts before we're feeling that suffocation of being, uh, of standing still? The best piece of personal and professional advice I ever got in my life was the hardest piece of personal and professional advice I ever got in my life. And it is this, you're not that important. Mm. 
that's pretty harsh, right? At the time I got the advice, I, my, my business was a few years old. My eldest child was a few years old. I was, you know, a few years into sitting on a bunch of community boards. I really certainly felt that important to my business, to my children, to my family, to the community, to everything. I was in, you know, building everything mode. And I was complaining to a mentor of mine about my lot in life. And she was like, I don't understand you, you know, like you got a happy marriage, successful career, healthy kids. Like, what's, what's the problem? What are you complaining about? And I said, I just, you know, I yell at my kids too much. I just, I'm short with them. And, and then we got to the root of the problem, which was that I'm just exhausted all the time. I'm stressed. And I feel like I'm always, you know, I could like be with my kids at the park, but I still had my cell phone. So I was kind of still in the office and, you know, I was trying to be all things to all people at all times. And she just looked at me and she's like, you're, you know, you realize you're just not that important, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and, 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 and here's what she meant by that. I was trying to be all things to all people all the time, and I wasn't being enough to the people that really mattered. And so she challenged me to figure out who it is that I really am that important to. Who are the people that I love? What are the causes I hold dear? What are the things that work that if I am not there and part of it will absolutely fall apart? And then to recognize that there are people and causes and projects where I'm actually really not that important and I'm inserting myself into them. And in fact, I'm not even getting the way of progress being made on them. And so I was letting my ego tell me that I needed to be involved in everything. And what I was getting in return was just less space and less time to figure out what actually mattered to me and to actually be that important and show up where it did matter. And so if people are listening and they're like, you know, I'm not quite stuck yet, but I'm, I'm stuck adjacent. What I would say mm-hmm. is start hoarding your gold, start hoarding your time. We can always make more money. You know, you can always make more health. You can't make more time. So the only mm-hmm. way to make more time is to stop giving it away to places where you're actually not that important so that you can really focus on the places where you are. Laura, you're incredible. And for those listening, uh, her TED Talk, Stop Asking How I Can Help TEDx Cambridge is amazing. I watched it again this morning. Her book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life is thriving now. It's, it's new this year. Check it out. Uh, an incredible book. Laura, thanks so much for your time today. I, I really appreciated our conversation. Thanks so much. And you know, all my friends call me LGO. So I'm at HeyLGO on all the socials too. Perfect. I'll be uh, following you there shortly. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.